this cliche in draft season where people will describe somebody as a 10-year starter. And it literally only applies to offensive tackle. I've never heard a cornerback described as a 10-year starter. I'm excited to welcome uh, the first guest of our newly rebranded podcast, Mike Renner, lead draft analyst at PFF and host of Tailgate Podcast, one of my uh, one of my go-to listens every week. Mike, thank you for coming on. I didn't realize the first guest, man. I feel honored. I, uh, yeah, I don't we, think we I've kinda, ever been the first guest in the pod. We kind of did the uh, we're kind of doing the the two for one drafts style like rebrand, kind of kind of reshifting okay. everything. So yeah, we're uh, we're starting it off with a bang. Um, Mike, Mike and Austin Gale are the hosts of tailgate podcast. Like I mentioned, one of the few podcasts that I would say that I, I never miss an episode. I actually discovered them about a year ago, um, back when they were called two for one drafts. And I was just kind of listening in the background and what made me a loyal listener of the podcast is Mike was complaining about this cliche in draft season where people will describe somebody as a 10-year starter. They'll say like, oh yeah, you draft this guy, you're gonna have a starting left tackle for 10 years. And it's always, I've always been like, what, like, what can you, how are you gonna know like his longevity and like, if he's gonna re-sign? That's just like a nothing statement. <laughs> and it literally only applies to offensive tackles. I've right, never yeah. heard a cornerback described as a 10-year starter, but exactly, it's, it, it still gets played. You still hear it every year. To be to be fair though, I like as someone who I just finished writing my own draft guide, and you obviously write a draft guide. Like it, it's hard to come up with different stuff to say for yes. every play, like every player. I mean, I I get some good use out of the the source. Um, yeah, I uh, the amount of times I've searched "good synonym" into Google. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's about, it's I'll like do that about 20 times. Ex- excellent, outstanding, consistent. Um, yeah. But uh, b- before we get into spe- some specific players, I wanted to kind of uh, like ask a little bit about just your kind of scouting process. Like if a new player comes onto your radar, how, how do you go about um, scouting them? Obviously, like with, with PFF Ultimate, you can just like pull up all their targets or whatever. But, um, you know, say, uh, say a, a, a corner, are you like, are you going to watch, you know, one full game, three full games, just watch all their targets? Like what's kind of your process? Yeah, I'll rarely watch like just a full game straight. I'll, I'll watch, like, I'm not even sure the last time I've watched like really from start to finish a full game guys. And that's just because the tools kind of we have here at PFF. Like I'll watch probably like maybe like a half of a guy or something like that to really get a handle on this role or where he's playing. Um, but oftentimes it's, you know, if I want to watch cornerback in, in coverage, I watch his cover snaps. So like where, where snaps right. is actually targeted or snaps. So there's actually a pass play. And so um, try to drill to the meaningful stuff first um, for most positions, not every position, but, and sometimes depending on the time I have, like, I'll just go watch like his highest graded plays, just see like his highlight reel basically or what he's capable of. Um, but you want to drill down to yourself like, like I said, cornerback. I'm going to go watch targets. It's probably the first place I'll start. And not just any targets. Like, I, don't, I don't really care about too many screen targets or whatever or underneath targets. I want to see 
what he looks like, try to cover a wide receiver down the football field. So that's kind of where I start is the meaningful stuff. And then kind of whatever questions that starts to bring up, then that kind of leads me down where I'm going next. Like, Oh, is he, um, it looks like he's maybe kind of a bad tackler on tape from what I saw in coverage. Let me go look at his tackling playlist and like how he is in run support then or vice versa. If there's something he looks really good at, Oh, speed looks really good. Then maybe I'll go watch, uh, I'll, I'll go see like, all the reps against kind of a, I know a faster wide receiver on a schedule, go watch all those reps just to see stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine the, uh, one of the prospects that having all of those tools at your disposal is most useful for this year would be Trent McDuffie. Um, because I, I watched a couple games of him, you know, I think he, he, he got targeted like oh, yeah. once, you know, for four yards. I was like, wow, this, this guy looks really good in a side turn. I'm just going to like take everybody else's word that he's a yeah. good corner, I guess. <laughs> and I think he played like 50 snaps a man all year long. And it's like, yeah, no. that's all you got to judge a guy. And so like when they say like the whole disingenuous scouts are like, Oh, if you got talent, they'll find you. It's like, well, if you got talent and you're in the scheme that fits your talent, they'll find you more easily. And you're doing NFL stuff. They'll find you more easily. If you're playing basically off zone as a cornerback in D three, no one's finding, you know, right. No one's ever go and scout that guy and say, Oh, that's someone I want. Yeah. And I, well, the, the Trent McDuffie thing sort of leads me to my next question about who's a guy that maybe you've had the most difficult time with this year, kind of wrestling with your evaluation, like in your own head. Cause for me, it's been Trent McDuffie. I've actually kind of, I'm a little bit, it's a, it's a little bit easier for me to be higher on Kyler Gordon because I think the, the high end athleticism is a little bit like more in your face uh, with yeah. him. But, you know, with Trent McDuffie, it's like in, in very limited examples of him actually being tested, you know, he's been good, but it, it's just a small sample size for me. So who's a guy like, like that for you? I like that call out. I'll say for me, it's a wide receiver. Actually. I think Garrett Wilson is the one I go back and forth on a lot because I, I like a firm believer in the sort of innate talent that he has. But you watch his like his tape against true press coverage and physical corners, and it, it's worrisome. And, and usually, guys who struggle with that, I am a little more hesitant to. But it's like he has kind of that physical ability that should be press coverage. To, to me, it kind of reminds me of like early Devonte Adams, where Devonte Adams mm-hmm. is so shifty and so like able to make guys miss without even getting touched. That like he should have been better against press, and he should have been a better runner, but like wasn't for the first few years of his career. And it took him so long to get up to there. And now he's best, you know, arguably the best receiver in the NFL just because he was like physically always had that capability to him. Like that's what I could see a career path of Garrett Wilson, where it's like year one, year two, it might not look like Jamar Chase's look, you know, might look, might not look like these guys that we've gotten, gotten accustomed to have looked. But I believe that, you know, again, go back to the physical tools that what he could do, like with more reps against press, with more of kind of that being a point of emphasis for him when he has to actually worry about that and not just win against off coverage all the time like he did against Ohio State, then he's capable of doing it. I firmly believe that, but he's just not right now. Like on tape right now, it's just not that good when he does have to do it. Yeah, the press coverage thing with Garrett Wilson was really what kind of uh, has caused me to to step off of him as wide receiver one, just like looking more closely, like rewatching games. Um, like he'll he'll get knocked back if if uh, if the corner lands a jam. 
Um, another guy for me that that's kind of been a difficult evaluation uh, has been Max Mitchell, uh, the tackle from Louisiana Lafayette. Like to me, I I think just like purely his tape is like some of the most impressive in this class, but I just don't think that his weight is like, is conducive to being able to play tackle successfully. Like, and how, how do you kind of deal with a guy like that where it's, you know, they they have to add 15 or 20 pounds uh, to be successful. And how do you kind of like judge whether you think that they can do that and keep their athleticism? Just how do you sort of like handle that kind of deal? Yeah, it's tough, especially what a guy, small school like there's a lot of these like max small school on the older end and like not six like six five or six six right like he's not like a versatile body type where it's like a lot of you know undersized guys like oh put him at center put him at guard like yeah it, it won't be as exposed as much I, I think he's kind of a tackle only like with his frame so he, he's the one who i really like I said i really love his tape like his tape's very good but again it's, t- it's tape against guys who aren't playing in the nfl and like, I even think at his size, he's a good run blocker. Like he moves guys and has good hand placement and uses leverage well. And, and like has some like NFL caliber leg drive to him and like lower body strength. But then in pass protection, it's the opposite where he has no anchor. Really got exposed at the senior bowl. Like the tape there was eye-openingly bad to where, I don't know. Like, I, like it's that's when you, you wish you had the access to be like, go talk to strength and guessing condition coach and be like, what can this guy put on? Like how capped is this dude at? Like how, how much stronger can he realistically get? But I still like him. And I still think maybe he could just be a six, six center. Like (laughs) maybe that is his future. Um, But he is a weird evaluation in that regard. And and oftentimes I, I lean towards taking a chance on the guys and hoping they can put on the, just like to get to that caliber of strength, play strength, because it's difficult to teach the movement skills and the sort of technique that he has to the level that he has. Yeah. I, I think it also kind of, uh, you have to take into account situation and age, like, you know, yes, if, yes, yes. like Devon, Devonte Smith, you can't just say, Oh yeah, add 15 pounds. It's like he was at Bama. He, he would have <laughs> happened already. Yeah. Um, speaking of light offensive linemen, some I've, I've really been kind of, um, struggling with the with the Tyler Linderbaum like evaluation and just wondering what exactly does he do better or what what about him as a prospect is better than Garrett Bradbury Ooh, that's a good question I, I I think he's definitely stronger at the point of attack than Garrett Bradbury like both were and eh, this goes back to kind of what we were just talking about about you know, cornerback, if he's in the scheme that fits him best, he's going to, like, show out. Like, Tyler Linderbaum and Garrett Bradbury played in offenses in college that were tailor-made for their strengths. Like, that is what made has made them, you know, the top prospects consider first-round picks at the center position because they are athletic dudes who can play on the move. And if you ask them to do any other thing, would they, like, if they, if they were switched schemes to something else, I'm trying to think of a scheme that, wouldn't necessarily be a great fit for them, but like, like switch to, if, I guess like if, Alabama. If Garrett, if Garrett Bradbury transferred to Mercer and he was doing the, uh, <laughs> yeah. Jason Poe like, pulling every single, you're just pulling every single play of the edge. Yeah, I know. But if you're just a different scheme where you know maybe you're not taking advantage of that athleticism, maybe you're just inside zone blocking every play and just going straight off right. the line, 
no one's going to consider that guy a first rounder. No one's going to like see that and be like, oh yeah, fall in love with that's what I want as a first rounder. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Just like when you watch tapes, like this is as good as it gets for Linderbaum in terms of like where he'll be. And when runs outside zone as much as Iowa does in the NFL, like that's pretty much right. a scheme that was all he was going to do. But at the same time, I do think, like I said, much better sort of lower body strength to him. And I think his hands are a lot better as well in that you see the wrestling background. Like you see him even when he kind of loses in pass protection, like he's riding and holding on for dear life. Whereas Gab Bradbury had a lot more, uh, say, ugly losses on his tape than I would say Linderbaum does. Right, yeah. I mean, I think that, that even if Garrett Bradbury, or um, excuse me, if Tyler Linderbaum doesn't have the best anchor just from like a physical strength standpoint, if you look at his footwork, it's really consistent. Like he he's clearly somebody that um, is technically sound. And I, like, I think is a better prospect than Garrett Bradbury, but it's just kind of, I, I, I've kind of like moved off a little bit from him being just this like no brainer, you know, going to be a 10 year starter at center uh type of guy <laughs> to being like being like ah he's a he's a first round prospect but like there's a little bit of hesitation um i want to get you into with, uh, what today's uh, actually i was gonna say with today's like advancements and like how you know training and diet i, I think we should change it to 12 year starter i think these guys yeah, are I know, 12 year exactly. starters Garrett, andrew whitworth's 40 <laughs> out there playing jason peters 39 12 year starters the new 10 year starter um i want to get into what is the most intriguing position group to me and i think one of the most um, intriguing position groups for you and that's linebacker um there's a few guys i like what what i try to do basically the the night that the titans lost got home from nissan stadium started watching draft prospects basically just try to like watch everybody and block out everyone else's draft boards made my own draft board. I had Brian Asamoah as a first rounder. I was super impressed by him. So then I go back to like PFF and uh, Daniel Jeremiah to see like where I agree and disagree. And I was like, all right, my man, Mike on the Brian Asamoah train. Um, uh, for, for people listening that are unaware of Brian Asamoah, give me a quick rundown of him as a prospect. I think he's a, I think he's a redshirt junior coming out um, two year starter. And his first year of starter back 2020 is kind of just a missile with no real rhyme or reason to it. Like he, you can see the athleticism, like he's probably going to run the low four fives, I guess. Um, at probably somewhere in the two twenty, I think he's like two twenty eight. The senior bowl is what he came in at and a shade over six foot. So he's like undersized, but athletic dude. And the first year is just like, that's all he is. He's an athlete and, and he was a converted safety. So you kind of expected, you kind of made an excuse to why, he might look out of place at linebacker, but this year, I thought just instinctively in the way he read the run and flow to the football was a lot better. And, and the thing I love about him for 228 pounder is he is not afraid to hit. It's like he will stack offensive linemen. There's a play at the senior bowl where he goes up and, you know, two hand stacks, Trevor Penning, the, the baddest dude there, 330 pound offensive tackle from Northern Iowa stacks him and sheds him like with ease. It was ridiculously impressive and that's like that's what you want to see from like a 240 250 pounder you expect those undersized guys to just like play around blocks for the most part in the nfl but that was an eye-opener and i thought you just saw that physicality on tape consistently whether it's going for forced fumbles whether it's you know hitting guys at the catch point that 
220 pounds, you sometimes worry about how it translate. I don't worry about that with Asamo, and that's why you said first rounder. I think he's 33 on the PFF board, linebacker three. So I'm I'm almost there with you. Yeah, I, you know, that was my initial. I actually just checked my. I have him 35 right now, uh, third ranked linebacker. Oh. I think I think your uh, I think your David Long uh, Jr. comparison um, is is a great one. Just yeah. like. he's like David long with longer arms. That was, that was kind of the, the first thing that stuck out to me is like, you know, I, I I can, I, I get a little bit hesitant with like undersized linebackers, just kind of recency bias. We've seen so many of these guys, um, get, you know, highly drafted and then not be that successful in the NFL. But if you're undersized, but you still have great length, that kind of, uh, takes away a lot of, a lot of my issues, um, you know, with your ability to engage blocks at the next level. Yeah. With the, um, linebacker with tackle, like the positions where you usually traditionally talk about like linebacker, tackle, cornerback. I, I do think wingspan is far more important than height. Like it's kind of like what the NBA has gone towards where what they're doing doesn't rely on how high they can reach, but how, far they can reach outside of their frame and how much they can envelop. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's why that's that. why I mean, like if, I, that's why Isaiah Wynn, like who's six foot two, yes, was still a first round pick because yeah. he has like, you know, 33 and a half inch arms, like that'll play. Um it's it's kind of like people think traditionally that it's it's height, but it's more just that height kind of correlates with other metrics that are actually what's yes. important. Um yeah and, like, uh, and in basketball, it's probably even more important. Height's probably more important because, like, you're reaching towards the right. but like the amount of times you're actually going up vertically and need to be at like your what's it, your zenith points, your highest point you can be, your apex is so rare. It's far more you want to be laterally. So that would be, you know, wingspan. Um, yeah, a, a couple other linebacker uh, linebackers like outside of the Nicobe Dean, Devin Lloyd guys that are uh, going to get talked about a bunch. Uh, Troy Anderson out of Montana state, um, was actually like last night, finally able to, uh, find some Montana state all 22. So I was watching him. Wasn't really that impressed. He kind of looked like a, like I, I see the athleticism. He looked like a big kid playing, you know, against eighth graders, but what, what, what about Troy Anderson? Do you think like warrants being a, a, a day two type of player? I think you touched on it there with the athleticism aspect that he is a high-end athlete for being 6'4", 235. I think we checked in somewhere around that range at the Senior Bowl where, you know, ideal frame, ideal athleticism, and just very smooth change of direction ability. And, and then the kind of it goes back to, like, what I said about Osmo, a former safety, Troy Anderson, former running back and former quarterback at Montana State. He's only been playing linebacker for, like, two and a half years, I want to say. So – you can kind of, I don't want to say excuse that he's not the most instinctive or the most, you know, heady player, but like two and a half years of playing one position, you're not going to have seen it all. And it's right. what you're buying into what two and a half more years is going to look like and the development he's already made over that span to be a productive football player. So like you're saying, like day two, when you're going towards you know, picks towards that back end of the top hundred, you get excited like that's you're already slim pickings you're not getting all a bunch of good football players you're gonna have to make some exceptions and so when you're talking about a guy who's like i said has ideal sort of physical traits 
and could develop into a lot more. That's why um, I think he's 64th in the PFF board. So that's why. Yeah, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head as far as like what you're looking for at the linebacker position on day two and day three. Like, yeah. you know, if if I was a GM, I'm going to be a lot more willing to just throw darts at, at the athletic upside of somebody like, um, you know, uh, Brandon Smith out of Penn State who his film is not good, but he's an elite athlete. Then kind of like the the – the lunch pail grinder 150 tackle guy like that yes. just doesn't have that upside. Um, yeah, and, uh, the, for, you just like to look for three down guys, you know, you're like, you don't, right. Yeah. You no, know, the lunch pail, whatever can be a great player against the run in certain situations, but that's, that could be it. You know, you're never going to be dynamic enough to go three downs and be your do it all. You're going to have a limited player. You draft guys, you know, with premium picks, you draft guys who are potentially, the hope is, won't have limitations to them. And that's, you know, what Troy Anderson could be. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, of, of coverage limitations at linebacker, what, how do you think Leo Chanel? Yeah, Leo Chanel. How do you think he fits yep. into kind of the, the modern NFL because I like I'm I'm fully there with you on him as a run defender but I watch him in coverage and and more so like his role in pass coverage he kind of just like stands seven yards back from the line of scrimmage and just like waits for something to happen and it's it's like I think athletically he can he can do it it's just I feel like you're gonna have to teach him match coverage from the ground up yeah he's a project in that regard like that and I think you said there the defense was almost comical in how little it asked them to do. And I'm not, I'm not questioning the defense. I mean, if I can, I think Brian or Jim Leonard's an incredible no, defense coordinator. A, a, like, a, college I, I scheme, like, a college scheme needs to be crafted around draft analysts being able to evaluate. It's, it's <laughs> exactly, not about winning. Exactly. It's, about- <laughs> it's not, it's not helping me do my job, but it's helping them play good defense because I don't think you want linebackers to cover realistically. Like in a college game, you don't want them on a slot receiver. So to take them out, yeah. probably a good thing. But like you look at what he's capable of and physically it's like special what this guy can do from on like a taking on blocks perspective, which is, which is run defense one, like you mentioned there, but then also blitzing. And depending on your scheme, blitzing can be 40% of your snaps as an off ball linebacker. Like, in the NFL, which is a lot. And when you're as good at it as he is, almost like a poor man's Michael Parsons in that regard, that like that if you're if you're elite at that forty percent of the snaps and then average in coverage for sixty percent of the snaps, that's still a well above average player. You're making a above average impact. So yeah, I mean, from pure coverage perspective, and then a lot of teams that do blitz, like I said the same ones that are leaving that linebacker seven yards off the line of scrimmage just reading, just being that whole player, not necessarily having a man responsibility or like a match zone responsibility, just having a, you know, pick up the crosser, spy the quarterback type of responsibility. I think that's his role at the next level. And like, maybe you build the sort of, like you said, the the match coverage, any sort of zone concepts, you build that into getting more reps as his career goes on. But I think in that role that I described, he is like, if you, if you got that role in your defense, this guy is as good as he gets this draft quest for that role yeah you and you and austin were talking about it um like in your i think most recent podcast about 
what he's going to bench at the combine. Like, and you, that's normally, that's normally a, a, a combine workout that I don't even pay attention to, but like you look at the way the force that he brings to like every time that he initiates contact, it's like, yeah, you can, you can kind of see how the bench, the bench press uh, correlates with that. Yeah. It's like when you're as much of an outlier, so we you know, did 40 reps when you're as much of an outlier where there hasn't been a guy drafted in the first three rounds, rounds as an off ball linebacker to do more than 30 in the last 30 years. When you're that much of an outlier, it's like that makes you take note. And so, yeah, the dude's kind of free. Yeah. Um, Daniel Jeremiah's uh, most recent uh, big board. Uh, just wanted to. There, there are a couple of things that I just wanted to ask. Get your take on the first one is that he's noticeably lower on Charles Cross than um, kind of like the consensus. Definitely, like me. I mean, I have have him as a top five player. I know you guys have him as um, the top tackle in the class. And I, you know, it's always interesting. Like. I, I read the explanations and it's like all positive things that he's saying about Charles cross. And, and I'm like, like, what am I missing here? Do you think it's purely the fact that he's, he, he doesn't, you know, run block and traditional like NFL concepts. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of the offense he's in. And I said, he hasn't really explained, but in my opinion, that's gotta be what, what he's seeing and worrying about when projecting the next level where, you know, even when he's pass protecting, a lot of the times it's not, you know, an angle set or a vertical set. It's him right. down blocking a four eye because he's getting these three yeah. man rushes that it's just not a lot of translatable stuff. And, you know, as much as we say, oh, scout job, look around that, it's like, well, it helps a lot when you do NFL translatable stuff. Like, you know, no one's talking about Ahmad Gardner as a top 10 pick if he went to Iowa and is squatted off coverage every 20 yeah. times a game because that's not what he excels at and it's like for charles cross he didn't get it. i don't think you have like combo blocks that exist on his tape like he's doing he's gonna do stuff from the run game and his first nfl practice that he's never done before like a number mm-hmm. of things and so you worry about that and you worry about what that'll look like but i still buy into the few reps you do get and the true true pass sets that we say that he has gotten that he's pretty damn impressive on. So, yeah, I, I don't see the gap personally. Like I said, I don't think you do either, but that's what I would assume is kind of his reservations there. Yeah. Um, the final thing I wanted to ask you about is kind of just like a, a general question that's sort of a hot topic, I guess, within the draft community. And it's what the reaction or sort of adjustment should be based on Justin Herbert, because I'm someone like you who, like I was not high on Justin Herbert at all. I, um, you know, saw the great arm above average mobility, but just like his tape was not good from an evaluation standpoint. Obviously the offense was not an easy offense to evaluate to the NFL. I thought his accuracy and decision-making were inconsistent. So to me, he was like a, a a middle to late first round pick. And it's kind of like a lot of people that were also low on Justin Herbert and now see that he's one of the best quarterbacks are having this reaction of like, Oh, I was, I was so wrong. Like I I need to completely change course. And my thought is like, should we be like radically changing our process based on what, in my opinion, is an outlier? 
to, to me, no, I, I don't think so. Uh, um, I, I, I was personally with Justin Herbert was mental side of things. I was worried about, it. I, I didn't, it wasn't like the physical tools that I, that I was sort of worried about. Like, I didn't think he was necessarily inaccurate. And I did, obviously didn't think he had a, a bad arm and like, was, like, I didn't have, like I said, many physical concerns. It was more like he was so, had did so many odd things on tape at Oregon, whether it was throwing Hail Mary through the end zone by like 10 yards, like diving for the goal line when they were down like 24 with under a minute left and getting like crunched in a game. Like he, he did a bunch of just, weird stuff on tape and like the whole stuff about him being an introvert and all this like stuff that I'm like, I don't know if like personality wise, like the makeup of an NFL quarterback. And obviously that's been proven dead wrong. And it's something that like, I probably should take less that I probably, I guess in retrospect, I should take that shit less into account because I don't have the access to actually evaluate who these guys are. I'm just hearing secondhand stuff about this stuff about these guys. So that to me was my like lesson from all that. The, the guy who I would say, if you're going to point to anyone and be like, does the change process is Josh Allen because he was um, mm. like a completely, he could turn into a completely different player than he ever was prior. Like so few guys are like legitimately night and day better in the NFL than they were in college. He's one of them. Um, I'm saying like statistically and just like how they play the game, whatever. Right. But that's probably the guy you point to and be like that you buy into. But even still, um, I don't think change the process drastically. You have to realize like who he was and why he succeeded or why he wasn't and why you're low on him in the first place and why, you know, he had that room for development and apply that to other people and be like, where do, where do they have room for development? Is it realistic to expect that? So yeah, I don't think it's overhaul your process. I do think everything's case by case basis. If you're really reading too much into small sample size and a lot of drafts, small sample size, but like, I think we tend to read too much into it sometimes that these small sample sizes will change our process when sometimes guys are just outliers because they're outliers. Yeah. The amount of, the amount of Josh Allen comments that I've gotten for saying that, um, the Titans shouldn't draft Malik Willis. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, if, if the, if, if we're just like banking on, on quarterbacks just like automatically fixed. It is kind of crazy how Justin Herbert just immediately like uh, fixed or resolved every single like issue or drawback that he had as a prospect. It's like if, if all of, if, if every year we're getting two or three quarterbacks that don't look great in college, like in the same way Justin Herbert did. And then all of a sudden in the NFL, they're great quarterbacks. Like if that, continues to happen then sure adjust but like i'm still treating justin herbert kind of as an outlier i feel like if you just handed me his tape and him as a prospect today like i would have a pretty similar evaluation on him yeah it's like trey lance struggled with accuracy in college and you're one with the 49ers who still wasn't accurate so tbd on if he fixes that but like i i don't think that, like I said, you can bank on that always being the case, that there being easily fixable things that have been proven over time and have historically been not fixable. So I think that's something to keep in mind. And like, but I will say that the payoff when a guy is has physical tools that if he fixes XYZ as opposed to banking on someone getting faster, getting more athletic, getting more dynamic, getting a bigger arm, which are like definitively not fixable things. 
the payoff when the guy has all those other things and then can maybe fix pocket presence, you know, how he reads the field, progressions, that sort of thing, accuracy, that aren't innate physical tools. The payoff when the guy does fix those is bigger. So I think that's maybe the thing to keep in mind is that draft's still a lottery and that, you know, the bigger the Powerball, maybe the more willing you are, you should be to take the chance on it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we're pretty much in agreement there. All right. Well, Mike, uh, really appreciate you coming on. Um, everybody definitely go check out tailgate podcasts, check out, um, everything that Mike does on PFF does a, uh, does a phenomenal draft guide every year. Can't recommend it enough. Um, have a, have a good time at the combine. Thanks, man. Appreciate having me on. Yep.